Hello and welcome to Robust Discuss with Sean and Brian. This is the podcast where we politically discuss our society and the various pathways we could take to improve it. We will dive deep into our morality, our government, and our lives with topics ranging from philosophical questions to U.S. politics and current events. We have a slightly special episode for you all today. We're going to be discussing emergency medical services and specifically the issues surrounding their funding within the United States. And we have a really good friend of mine who had some unfortunate experiences with said EMS agencies in our country. Uh, currently, it's it's not classified as an essential service. EMS is not in our United States. There's only 11 states that actually classify EMS as an essential service and allow them to receive state funding because that state classifies them as such, and they all must rely majorly on local funding. Yeah, um, and much of that local funding um, comes via, well, it comes via private corporations, but it also comes, uh, a lot of the funding comes from local charities, um, non-federal grants, uh, and individual donations. A lot of the times, staff or other charities will set up GoFundMe's to help fund their local EMS. Exactly. And I mean, something like that is just not going to provide any stability for these services. I mean, the issues, it, it stems directly from that fact that there just is no federal classification for EMS in our country. And then, although, you know, you may have unions pushing for it here and there, you're, you're not going to have anything that's akin to something like the U.S. Fire Association and what it does for fire departments in our country. That diversity, uh, it just, it doesn't go well, actually, either. It's not like you could say they can succeed on their own. I mean, according to the 2020 National EMS Assessment, there are over almost 19,000 different EMS agencies in our country. I just don't see how you can get consistency with that many systems, and none of them are required or even trying to cooperate. There, there may be the outliers. Like I said, there is 11 where there is oversight at that state level, but that does leave 49, uh, 39 states that are completely run by local services. Um, and obviously, local government, local focus, that can be important, but it's such a large, important service. It's You can't leave that entirely up, up to them. It causes too much economic strain, and it's why they just lack, they just dramatically lack the support to run efficiency, efficiently. Because of that, with how little support they get, you know, just considering how underfunded they are, um, it causes first responders to just be spread out so thin. They're overworked, they're underpaid. Um, a lot of them make less than 45k a year. They're just facing these impeccable challenges, you know, to be able to serve their local community. With how exasperated the situation is, that's why, you know, it would be appropriate to give them that title. Because one, obviously... They are essential workers. They're literally saving lives every day. It's, it really doesn't make sense, especially in terms of being spread out. Um, following that same EMS assessment, there's only 5,057 total EMS vehicles in the entire state of California. Now, like, I'm going to be honest, I don't know what that number should be. I don't know what a number to cover the entire state of California, but I'm going to be honest, 5,000 sounds low. And that's counting every single 911 response, uh, ground service vehicle, or air medical service, and even including non-ambulance medical transport. Right. There's 5,057 total vehicles in the entire state of California. I, that's, that's accounting for a population of like 40 million, too. That's exactly what we, what we really wanted to focus on on today's episode, is the fact that these workers are not able to 
provide the assistance they need to. To kind of help us do that and get a little bit more of a direct insight to it, my really good friend Jordan has offered to join us here today to kind of talk about her experience specifically working in the state of Louisiana and with a specific private ambulance company in that state. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you so much for, you know, inviting me on. I think this is a really important topic to talk about that I feel like a lot of people just don't think about because you guys are 100% right. I mean, the focal point is usually on the fire department and police. EMS usually just kind of gets brushed to the side. It's like, oh, well, cool, EMS is here, but fire and PD were here already, so. And, and further, too. In total terms of eight, like EMS agency types, 49% of them are simply for 911 response with transport. There's only 9% of total EMS agencies that are classified as ground specialty care services. And again, it's, it goes to that, that, that funding as, aspect of they just don't have, they're, they're trying to cut costs and do things and not pay people as much so they can, they can save money and make money. And they are, dividing that by dividing their responsibilities and saying like, oh, I can pay you less because your designated duty is this, like this is what you're required to do. Oh, absolutely. The company I worked for loved to do that because a lot of their money came from either interfacility transport or dialysis calls. So, you know, we would show up to either a patient in the hospital or a patient in their home and we would basically be their taxi because they weren't, you know, they weren't able to take a regular car or they just really didn't want to. But the company I worked for loved taking calls like that on, even if that meant it would push us way past when we were supposed to get off. There were days where I would definitely only supposed to work a 12 hour shift and I would work closer to 16. And that was just, you know, something I was supposed to just take. It, 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 that's just abysmal that you're, it's just sad, honestly, that you're put through that kind of situation. And it's, I mean, it, it's just a drastic amount of underfunding. Um, I know that you had said, like previously, you've come in contact with uh, AMR, American Medical Response. That that wasn't the company you worked for, but you had kind of been in contact with them with as you were working, correct? Going around. Yeah, we had ran into them once or twice. I mean, they definitely kind of gave me the vibes that they were there for a paycheck and. They didn't want to do any more than they had to, regardless if it was for the best care of their patient. They were there to get it done, get it done quick. And if they didn't do it right, another crew will pick up their slack. People can obviously kind of come at that and say, oh, maybe you just meant bad people. There's obviously great people. We're not going to try to say, you know, everybody who works there is thinks that way or anything. But to reinforce a thought process of that, AMR is owned by um KKR and Company, which is a an American global investment company. Why is an investment company to make people money running the one of the largest medical transport system in our country? That's not supposed to be done to make money. You're supposed to help people. And I mean, like it sounds like they're running it like a like McDonald's when they really should be like running at like a fine dining establishment. You know, like that makes sense. Like it's like how, how Jordan said it, like they're trying to get in and out, you know, the staff at uh, AMR, you know, not saying that's like, okay, but I think I can kind of understand considering the conditions that they have to work under. It's just the general idea of not, of not having funding. And then like, I know Jordan, uh, you had mentioned how they refuse to, uh, pay for self-defense courses? Yes. 
we collectively had asked like, hey, we're starting to get a lot more site patients and we work in very high call volume areas. It's starting to become an issue of personal safety. We need some kind of class to teach us safe ways to, you know, get a patient off of us to handle ourselves until we can either have our partner pull off the side of the road or just get help. And apparently that costed too much money. So that idea was scrapped and we were basically told to just kind of just wing it, like just figure it out. That tends to make you a very, very paranoid person after your, your work tells you, we know that your life is threatened on the daily, but we really need you to just figure it out because it's kind of expensive to teach a whole bunch of people how to protect themselves. I mean, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is expensive, and that's why we should have federal funding, ways for EMS agencies to obtain that funding. Yeah. I mean, specifically with uh, Acadian Ambulance, uh, Texas legislature had to step in with a Senate bill to help with funding, and specifically, actually, with EMS education and retention. So that there goes exactly into educating, training, which I would say self-defense would fall under a form of education. It allows you to, like, as you just said, deal with the psych patients and do your job effectively. And then into retention of just keep people into the job. And they had to set aside $21.7 million for that. Well, well, you can come at it as like, yeah, that is, that's a good thing. That's Texas legislature doing their job and like supporting it. That's great. But they should also not have to just come up and do this because there are so many issues with the with the system and they are so underfunded that they were like, oh crap, we have to do something. Yeah. It, it was like a too late kind of situation. Absolutely. One of the strongest points of EMS especially is the people who have that experience. You know, they've been on the truck for a while. They know what to look for. They know how to treat things. And then the other part is they know how to navigate the streets unlike anyone else. Getting in that truck and driving it to, you know, Momo Boudreaux's house down the street because, you know, she's a frequent flyer with the truck. They can do it with their eyes closed. When you start getting rid of all these just integral parts of what makes that station function, you start to lose the ability to get stuff done quick. Because some of these people live way the heck out there that even if you've lived in a state your whole life, you've probably never seen some of the places you live your gps won't get you there there's a whole plethora of issues that you start running into you know when the older people have experience they're like you know this just isn't worth it anymore like I'm, I'm getting too old for this and then they leave and then the cycle just keeps on going and going and i was lucky enough that a lot of the really experienced people who were amazing medics were still at that job so i got to you know work under them but if they wouldn't have been there I, I don't think I would have lasted even as long as I did because I just I don't think I would have had the guidance to survive it because my managers definitely weren't out there helping. That's exactly the issue is that you, you don't have that retention. And specifically, it's estimated that um, uh, ambulance workers have roughly a 20 to 30 percent turnover rate. So at 20 to 30 percent of your turnover rate, that, that means roughly every four years you're looking at about 100 percent turnover rate. I mean, that, that turnover is just unacceptable, exactly as you say, when you have those problems with I mean, GPS, finding things, just, just simple things that can be avoided if you've done it, sim- something similar before. It won't be brand new and you, and you can have a better option to save people's lives. 
And another thing is you actually brought this up when you're talking about the state of California and the amount of, you know, vehicles they had. It's funny that you brought that up because another big problem, especially with the company I had, was trucks needing service. And I'm talking like random stuff, right? We would take care of our truck before every shift, after every shift, you know, we'd wash it. We took care of it like I was our baby. When something would happen with your truck, we would have to bring it to the shop and hopefully we'd get it back. But a lot of times it would be like, oh, well, you can take that old one that's beat up. It might not be fun or comfortable to drive, but you'll figure it out. So it's just funny that you brought up that number because I was listening to it and I was like, oh, my gosh. We would always have the same truck. So I'm trying to think of like they're really hoping that something doesn't go wrong somewhere. They expected a lot from you guys just to figure it out. It was like, hey, somebody's some some guys just trying to fight you while you're going, you know, 70 miles on the highway in the middle of traffic on this truck that you don't know the condition of and it might fall apart at any point. To make it even worse, this same assessment, the, the 2020 uh, EMS National EMS Assessment, Louisiana declined to answer that question of how many total vehicles they have in their state. And a, and a few examples, state of Florida, 6,155 total vehicles in comparison to California's 5,000. Pennsylvania has 4,548. Uh, Texas, 5,200. Um, actually, Virginia has 7,000. That's pretty good. I feel like Virginia is kind of small. I don't know. If I'm... California, Texas, and Florida, which all, all those states have tens of millions of people. Yeah. So, I mean, Virginia has to be doing pretty well. It's just overall like that there's no way. Like, I'll, I'll be real. Like, I, I will come forward. And, like, if anybody ever hears the episode and has, you know, economic layout numbers of how many vehicles you need, sure, I'll listen to that. But I'll be honest, these just sound drastically so low i can't imagine they're even close to what's needed and your experiences in working in louisiana which happens to be one of the four states didn't answer the question um you obviously didn't have enough vehicles so yeah i mean you really have to think about it too because and these numbers are not only talking about emergency vehicles so if they're doing Either like they're sitting at a sport on the sidelines, like some kind of game is going on. That's a truck taken up. Trucks in the shop, are they including that in their total? Because those trucks probably aren't running. If it's the total running trucks or if it's trucks in general. It doesn't say. So even if we're being super generous and we're like, okay, all of those trucks are in perfect working order. Let's say you have a crew that has to go a couple hours away. Okay, that's a truck that's not going to be back in your local dispatch zone for a hot minute. Because that was normal for us. That was normal for us to go to different states. So we wouldn't get back to our own state's dispatch area for probably a good while. So that's an active truck that you can't use anything with. Trucks that have to sit at the VA because, once again, there were some patients that couldn't take regular vehicles or they didn't want to. So they utilized, you know, one of our trucks. The VA would fight us tooth and nail to make us sit there for hours on end just to bring this patient back home. Sometimes they would make us just sit there. So that's a truck that's wrapped up. These are all trucks that may or may not actually be usable. Yeah, so now this is going off of a total of 48 states that have responded. So the grand total of EMS vehicles in operation in the entire country is estimated at 87,781. However, they go on to further state that the total number of, quote, 911 response with transport 
i.e. ambulances, is 54,284, and that's consistent with other estimates. Yeah, that's that's roughly 55,000 for our entire country. Uh, I wanted to ask, how how spread out are are your are the EMS agencies? So, well, I don't think it's consistent anywhere in the country. Yeah, unfortunately, kind of like Sean was saying, there's like no real consistency for the most part. Like, like here, you know, we have Acadian, and Acadian will run into like the other local or city-based EMS, you know, the Dallas Fire EMS, run into them, run into Baton Rouge EMS, you know, all the other cities and their EMS agencies. And the real, like, quote-unquote competition for EMS bumps into when they run into other private EMS companies. It's kind of like, I hate to say a meme war between them, but it really is. Acadian will make fun of AMR, AMR will make fun of Acadian, and they just kind of go round and round. I don't remember there ever being a really big overlap of, you know, quote-unquote territories. Yeah, and see, there are a lot of um, EMS agencies out there, and specifically, like, ambulances that don't get paid unless they transport to a hospital. Like, simple call-outs and, like, going out there is not the same as if they get you to a hospital. I get, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, fortunately, that is not at all how my company was. If we showed up to a call and they were like, no, 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 I'm fine. I don't want to go. They would only have to sign a piece of paper like, hey, we checked you out. We talked to you. We requested that you go to a hospital to get checked out. You declined. And that was really just for like the legal purpose of we did come and do our job. If something goes wrong, it's not because, you know, negligence on our part. But yeah, no, there was no if we don't get you to a hospital, we don't get paid. But I have heard that that is an issue some places. Okay, but so the, I mean, the mere fact that you have interacted and heard about that, like that, that was something that I, I I can't find like specific companies and things like that. So I'm I'm obviously missing a little bit of the the specific numbers, but I've I've heard that that's an issue. I have heard from you know old coworkers that I had that worked in other places that they had run into that before. They never said it happened here in our state, but. They said it happened, you know, in other states. They didn't give me specific, uh, you know, agencies or companies that did it. But I have heard that that does happen. But I also don't know how old that might be if said companies have stopped doing that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I got you. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll kind of leave that open-ended for any listeners if y'all want to figure it out. But I couldn't get any specifics. I've just heard about it. And it feels like it's just like this huge rumor. So I don't know how. Hopefully they stopped doing that like a while ago yeah please and so over overall you you've definitely had just an, an abysmal experience with 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 working um with with acadian ambulance and just in, in general like just the, the lack of funding i know you said you you had previously said you lasted about it about a year and stuff it was there and you had talked about like some of the things that went wrong but was there any like major specific tipping point for you was there any like final straw that you were like all right this is absolutely too much it for me was really just i got to the point and i got to the time in my life where i was like you know this is the job that you that you love to hate and i'm kind of done having this toxic relationship with it so I left mainly to focus on school, even though I loved my coworkers and I loved the job itself. But kind of like you said, the funding issue really starts to 
drag on you, especially when you're like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. Like, I know a lot of people joke about it, but whenever you start to really mean it, that's when your mental health just like starts to tank, you know, being threatened every day. That's when it really started to get bad because I started working in 2017 and, you know, I'm working in high all volume areas fluctuating between like Lafayette, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, and you know, every place in between. It starts to really just drag on you doing site calls. And at that point, everyone already knows you, Katie. Everyone already knows what EMS is about. Everyone's like, oh, you just want money from me. And it's like, no, I really don't. That's literally not why I'm here at all. That's not why I went through the rigorous testing, did everything, got my certification. For me, it's really not about the money. I'm just here to help you. But at this point, the like societal stain has already been set to a degree. So, you know, everyone sees EMS and it's like, oh, they just want money. Yeah, don't, don't call an ambulance. Yeah, but everyone sees the fire department. They're like, oh, my God, yes, we love the fire department. They're great. And don't get me wrong. I love the fire department. Every single crew that we worked with was nothing short of amazing. But it definitely kind of got old after a while where you're just like, it's not even the patients at that point. It's just like the job itself is like dragging down. The management is stretched thin and they feel like they're not getting paid enough. So I know for a fact I'm not. It speaks volume too because of what that has to do to, I mean, just, I mean, I mean, your, your personal view and like how you've put so much effort into that i mean you like you said the rigorous training and the testings and the certifications that you had to obtain and then all for it to just what be be thrown away because i mean because you're you're so terribly treated like that's just and like that just has to be disheartening i can't i can't imagine like what it would be like to just come to that realization of like oh, something i put all this time and work into and it's just it's draining my life and it's not worth it it was definitely a hard pill to swallow. And then, you know, like holidays missed, you know, big events missed. I mean, you, yeah, you get days off and things like that, but you don't in a sense, you know, if if you're on that shift, you know that you're there. Yeah. And a lot of times getting bad, they're calling you because guess that they're short staffed because EMS is going to be perpetually short staffed until somebody comes up with a better way to approach all of this. People are just they're getting tired. They can get paid better, treated better somewhere else where someone's not trying to kill them every day. You know, like our mental health just takes such a hard hit and people are really starting to realize, like, I can't do this forever. It gets difficult. And I give you all the praise that you did it for as long as you did. And that definitely praise all the all the EMTs out there who are working and doing what they are doing despite these it's essential dark circumstances. It really is. It really is sad. And then, yeah, it just, it gets, it gets worse and worse. Honestly, I feel as you think about it. The mental toll it takes on you even after you leave. And then like physically, even if you're doing all the proper lifting techniques. I had, I had a friend that I went to the orientation with and, you know, she, she got her paramedic license. She was ready. She was so ready to go before even a year up. She had to take a step down and go into dispatch because her body just gave out from the constant just like running around doing stuff, overexerting herself constantly because 
call volume was too high and they were just too short staffed. Her body just quit. So she had to take a step back. So now she can't even really use her paramedic license that she worked so hard to get. That's just sad. Who knows what they could have, what, you know, who knows what she could have done if she got, you know, classes on better lifting or like better help in here, better equipment to better support the weight of the patient she was dealing with or things like that. An extra person with her to help her lift in, in situations where she may not have had one due to lack of staffing or lack of funding. Like it's, it's those exact things and reasons that it's just like you're saying, they just, they get burnt out and that's the thing. And, and kind of to highlight real quick too, before we start to kind of wrap up the episode today. It wasn't always like this. Um, in 1973, the EMS System Acts actually divided the funding through the state and federal level, but it was in 1981 that the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act would eliminate the federal side of that funding and would switch it to a majorly focused on states or like grants for the funding instead. You know, as time went on, they received less and less and less funding over the years. Jordan, for you, um, any kind of final comments or things that you feel like uh, we could have covered or any any final points you'd like to address on on your overall experience as an EMT? No, but thank you guys, you know, so much for inviting me on here. I think you guys are doing great work talking about things that most people just would never even really think about, you know, like, I think it's really important for people to kind of look deeper into our everyday lives and what's maybe really going on behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I definitely appreciate you coming on here. We, we thank you for kind of giving this kind of in-depth insight. To in, in-depth insight, there we go, <laughs> into uh, what it was like to, to work with these, these private companies. But yeah, if uh, if you guys are looking for more interaction, you can connect with us on Twitter at Robust Podcast. And we also have a Discord server where you can get more in-depth conversations with us, along with chat and debate with fellow listeners. Um, so thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye.